4: Well look, I guess I should be flattered. People are coming because I'm the nice guy. That's the reason why it's happening. That I'm a decent man or however it's phrased. That you know that's why they're coming, because no Biden's a good guy. Truth of the matter is, nothing has changed. Let me say one other thing on this. If you take a look at the number of people who are coming, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back. Are being sent back. Thousands. Tens of thousands of people who are who are over 18 years of age and single people, one at a time coming, have been sent back, sent home. We're sending back the vast majority of the families that are coming. What about dealing with families? Why are not some not going back? Because Mexico is refusing to take them back. They're saying they won't take them back, not all of them. If an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let him starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration did that either, except Trump. Uh, okay, um, where am I here? Let me
5: see. On this episode of Newt's World, President Biden held his first press conference since becoming president on Thursday, March 25th at approximately 1.30 in the afternoon. He discussed his administration's progress on battling COVID-19, the $1,400 stimulus checks from his $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, ending his introduction to the press conference with the quote, help is here, hope is on the way. Then he took questions from the White House press pool in attendance. I'm still not quite sure how I would summarize it. My first reaction was, well, at least he didn't blow up. I think we've been caught up in such low expectations that as long as he didn't fall off the stage, or you know, forget his own name, we all were kind of happy because recently he had had some, you know, difficult times remembering the name of the Secretary of Defense or remembering that the building that the secretary works in is called the Pentagon or, you know, climbing up Air Force One. And no American should want to have a president who is so demonstrably weak and disorganized that he is an invitation to foreign dictators to take advantage of us. So in that sense, I think my first reaction to the press conference was just relief I knew that all of my conservative friends would nitpick it and find things to ask questions about. Only as I began to back off and spent the weekend thinking about it and reflecting on it did I realize what a disastrous, almost frightening performance this was. And so I was fascinated. We'd seen enough of his inability to think clearly and we'd seen enough of his floundering that I really thought it was possible that he would melt down, but he didn't, let's be fair here. He did well enough that as long as you didn't think about it, it was okay. And it's only when you started thinking about it that it really begins to be kind of weird. I was first struck when Chris Wallace at Fox News said that Biden needed to read talking points on every foreign policy question. Now, I saw him do it, but I didn't kind of put the logic of that together. Really raises a question, which I'm gonna be writing about, about who was the real president. Because if you think about it, the number of times that Biden was involved with talking points would mean that somebody had to have written the approved talking points. Now, it clearly wasn't Joe Biden. I mean, I think no rational person believes that Biden was in the middle of his own talking points. And they have pictures of the cue cards he was using. I mean, you could say that this is Mr. President's cue card and that the dominant fact of this administration is that he can only function in a world in which somebody has written out answers. Having said that, it, I think, made some of the characteristics even worse. Biden has a perennial tendency, which is not that uncommon for politicians to say things that just aren't true, but are to his advantage. For example, he claimed in the press conference that the U.S. is sending back the vast majority of the families that are coming illegally and that they are not getting across the border. That's just plain not true. In fact, even CNN, which had spent four years slavishly hating Trump and doing everything they could to elect Biden, even CNN came out and said, quote, That was not true in February, which is the last month for which we have a full month's data. So here you have the President of the United States defending himself by cheerfully saying that it wasn't true. And you can deal with some of that, and frankly, if you're a liberal, you can come right back and say, yeah, Donald Trump said things that weren't true either. But some of the things he said were worse than not being true. They were directly harmful, and they were directly misleading. For example, after he had said that a majority was allowed to stay here. Somebody went and fact-checked and it said 59% of the migrant families were allowed to remain in the U.S. in February, 59%. So there's a pretty big gap between a majority go home and, oh, a majority actually stayed. Now, the other big characteristic here, which I think is fascinating, is for some reason the Biden team decided that you could not say there was a crisis on the border. Michael Goodwin, who is a great columnist at the New York Post, said the following. He said, quote, three big things stood out in President Biden's first press conference. One, the leader of the free world is often lost at sea and says many things that are blatantly false. Two, the media is in the tank and cannot be trusted to hold him accountable. Three, because of numbers one and two, America's headed for serious trouble. Goodwin goes on to say, for this sickening spectacle, we had to wait 64 days. Now, let me give you an example of what really got me riled up and why I decided to do this podcast focused on the press conference. When Biden accuses Trump of letting immigrant children starve to death on the other side of the Mexican border, there are two things wrong with that. The first is that it's just plain not true. There is no evidence that the United States government in any way failed to try to help people or sat by passively while children were dying. It's just plain not true. But there's a second thing which I think the woke Democrats just don't understand or they don't care, and that is for a president of the United States to accuse another president of deliberately allowing children to starve to death gives every anti-American element across the planet a club to beat us up with. They can now say, hey, you don't have to believe me. Look what the current American president said. And that was such a destructive and anti-American statement that I'm frankly a little surprised that it wasn't edited out. I don't know if it was in his talking points or if he just went winging it. But it struck me that it is really dangerous. One of the great dangers you have with a President Biden is you never quite know what he's going to say, which is why, for example, recently when Stephanopoulos asked him if he thought Putin was a killer and Biden just said, well, yeah, I guess you could say that. I think it didn't occur to him that that would piss off Putin. So Putin then pulled the Russian ambassador from the United States, which is a very strong thing to do and as a signal of deep unhappiness, I think Biden was kind of surprised. Now, it is true, by the way, that Putin is a killer. He was trained by the KGB. He is surrounded by people who are quite cheerful about killing people. And in that sense, I think that it wasn't inappropriate for a college professor or a think tank expert, but it was really destructive for an American president. Remember, this was an American president who had been chairman of the International Relations Committee. Supposedly, he knows this stuff, but the fact is that it's not true. The other place where I thought he just went overboard was his attack on the Republicans who are trying to get to an honest election process. H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, is really a dagger at the heart of the American system. It is designed to put into law the worst possible rules to enable people to steal the election, and it's based on the fact that the Democrats, Biden, Harris, Pelosi, Schumer, they all know the history of recent Democratic presidents. Bill Clinton wins in 92, and in 94 we get 54 seats in the House and win control for the first time in 40 years. And for the next six years of the Clinton presidency, he's constantly compromising with us. So instead of doing radical things, he's balancing the budget for four years. The only time, by the way, that's been done in your lifetime. He is cutting the capital gains tax. He is reforming welfare with a bias towards getting people to go to work. I mean, if you were a left-wing Democrat, as Biden sort of laid out in his book, The Argument, this was a disaster. Then along comes Barack Obama. And he goes too far to the left, too fast, really irritates the country. And two years later, in 2010, the Democrats lose 63 seats, nine more than we won in 1994. And the Republicans took over, and from that point on, they were not able to do any more radical things. Now, given that, I think what has happened is that the Speaker of the House, Pelosi, the Senate Majority Leader Schumer, and the President and Vice President Biden and Harris have concluded that they have to try to do two things. One, they have to ram through, using their members as a machine, as many radical things as they can in the first two years. And two, they have to change the rules of the game so they can basically run over the American people. The Corrupt Politicians Act is not designed to get to honest elections. The Corrupt Politicians Act is designed to enable politicians to win, even if the American people want to defeat them. And I think that's really an important part. Well, they are so deeply into this that you get defense of honest elections becomes racism, an effort to make sure that everything is counted accurately becomes in President Biden's words, pernicious. Biden says that the Republican effort to secure elections is a Jim Crow racist activity. And he really, I thought, was amazingly over the top in his response to the Republicans. And it turns out that it was just plain wrong. And I think that's a key thing to remember. The fact is, let me give you an example in a survey that the Republican Senatorial Committee and Senator Rick Scott just sent out, 90% of the country believes that only American citizens should be allowed to vote. 90, that's nine zero, which means an overwhelming majority of African Americans believe that we should have an honest election with only American citizens voting. And in fact, some people should go out and help organize a movement called African Americans for Honest Elections, because this whole effort to shut us down by screaming racism needs to be met head on. And I think that's a key part of what was going on. And so when you look at that, you have to say to yourself, why are they so hysterical? The reason they're so hysterical is simple. They believe if they cannot pass H.R. 1, that they, in fact, will lose control and they may lose control for a long time. And so in their mind, this is really life or death. And they see the Republicans as on the verge of getting control of this issue. And it's interesting, even the Washington Post, Glenn Kessler, who does their honesty thing with Pinocchio's, one of the minor contributions to modern American political culture. He looks at what Biden said about the Georgia law, which has just been signed into law, And he gives him four Pinocchios because he was just factually wrong. President Biden said, quote, among the outrageous parts of this new state law, it ends voting hours early so working people can't cast their vote after their shift is over. In fact, during the press conference itself, he said, what I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work. Now that's the President of the United States describing for the American people a bill which was signed into law last week. And what Kessler at the Washington Post writes is, quote, there was one line in both his news conference and his statement that has kept us puzzling until our puzzler was sore. It also puzzled experts who studied the new law. The Post notes that in polling places are open from 7 a.m to 7 pm in georgia on election day and if you are in line by 7 pm you're allowed to cast your ballot to say otherwise is just factually false but then again that's part of the current democratic party operation the fact is it actually expands early voting access for most counties according to georgia public broadcasting analysis and this is from stephen fowler the georgia public broadcasting counties can have early voting open as long as 7 a.m to 7 p.m or 9 a.m to 5 p.m at a minimum what this says is that you're going to have extra time to go vote extra opportunities to go vote and what biden said was simply plain not true so i think again it's important to say to yourself what's going on when you have a president who in a press conference where he actually used notes, and where presumably his staff had actually developed the notes, he consistently gets certain things wrong. Again, to go back to the border, and I think this is a real crisis in the Biden administration's relationship with both the news media and the American people. At the press conference, President Biden said illegal migrant adults and families are being turned away at the southern border. And on March 16th, The Homeland Security Secretary said the border is, quote, closed. That's just plain a lie. It's totally untrue. According to the mayor of Del Rio, Texas, Mayor Bruno Lozano, who's a Democrat, he first realized his town would be taking in illegal immigrants during the record-breaking winter storm in February. He then sent his first plea to the president, asking Biden to slow down the flow of illegal immigrants. After that, He asked that no more illegal immigrants be sent to Del Rio to await court dates. He then posted the following. This is from a local Democratic mayor on the border in Del Rio, Texas. Quote, we do not have the resources available to house and accommodate these migrants within our community. I will have no choice but to use the extreme measure under the emergency declaration as the mayor of the city of Del Rio, Texas, to refuse the entry of migrants awaiting court dates into the city of Del Rio. If you do send these individuals into our community, we will be forced to make a decision to leave them without resources under these dire circumstances. Now, that's the Democratic mayor of Del Rio. Sure sounds like a crisis to me. But of course, it can't be a crisis because Biden has said it's not a crisis. But when you think about it, Lozano said, he was given an estimate in February by the chief officer for his border sector, that Del Rio will receive 35,000 illegal immigrants in the next three to four weeks. The city has 36,000 residents in a county of 56,000. So in a three to four week period, they may get as many illegal immigrants as the total population of their town. These are not unaccompanied minors, and the border crossers get transported to a processing center in Del Rio. They're not evading the border patrol. They're finding their way to Del Rio. Additional illegal immigrants are getting dropped off at Eagle Pass, Texas, and surrounding towns. The last seven-day average for detention was 700 per day. Now, you may not be noticing this if you're in New York or New Hampshire or North Dakota, but if you're along the border right now, you not only have a crisis, you have an emergency, and you have a situation where your government is absolutely failing to protect you to quote one more time we are a small safe sleepy town we know each other we say hi to each other at the grocery store and things like that now I have concerns I have small business owners like a photographer she's trying to conduct business at the creek in our city park and she's afraid that she's going to be robbed because she has migrants coming up to her and asking her for money and for food how secure is that I have a duty to protect my community, and I have the transient population coming through our municipal areas and parks. It's not safe. So if that's the Democratic mayor of Del Rio, Texas, I think that the president's entire press conference section on immigration was a lie. It was a deliberate knowing lie. It's the Democratic party line that you're not allowed to see all these people. You're not allowed to see the human traffickers. You're not allowed to see the drug dealers. You're not allowed to see the common criminals because, after all, that's not what Uncle Joe wants. Uncle Joe wants you to be happy in this world so he can go back to sleep in the basement and pretend that nothing's going on. Now, the Biden administration is so determined on this that for the first time since World War II, we have genuine censorship. I don't remember any occasion when you're outside a military security area where the news media has been blocked the way they've been blocked in Texas by the Biden administration. It's astonishing how bad it is. And I think it's important to recognize that a National Review editorial published March 25th entitled, Biden's Woeful Press Conference. And they said, the president brazenly lied about the border crisis. They go on to say, reporters aren't in the practice, obviously, of being particularly tough on President Biden. But at his first press conference as president this afternoon, Cecilia Vega of ABC News politely nailed him to the wall on a key failure of his border policy. She told an affecting story of meeting a nine-year-old boy at the border who had walked to the US from Honduras and said that when she called the boy's mother, the woman explained that she sent him to the US because she believed that Biden would let him into the country. This of course is exactly why there's been a surge at the border. Biden created an exemption In Title 42, the public health authority that President Trump had used to turn back migrants during the pandemic, specifically for minors, and predictably, there's been a surge of minors. In evading this reality throughout the press conference, Biden resorted to a haze of misrepresentations and inadvertently exposed the senselessness of his own policy. The editorial goes on to say, quote, In response to Vega, he echoed a distortion often made by his Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, and said that Trump had dumped children into the Mexican desert. Except Biden made the charge even more lurid by alleging that Trump had let children starve to death. This is a disgraceful and stupid charge. The Trump administration either flew back migrants to their home countries directly or handed them over to Mexican authorities to do the same. No one was pushed into the desert. The editorial goes on to say also, in response to Vega, He said that the nine-year-old boy should be returned to his mother in Honduras. But that was precisely the Trump policy that Biden overturned and now falsely portrays as inhumane. Under Biden's policy, that nine-year-old is likely in an HHS detention facility and will not be returned home. Instead, placed with the nearest relative that can be found in the United States. If Biden wants to begin returning minors to their families back home, a laudable goal, he could do it immediately. All it takes is reversing himself on Title 42. The rest of Biden's statements about the border weren't any more accurate or sensible. He said that family units are all being turned back at the border. First, we know this is not true. Reports suggest that most family units are now getting into the United States. Second, it's not clear why the state of policy of returning family units wouldn't, on Biden's terms, be just as immoral as returning minors. He said that the reason even more family units aren't being returned is that Mexico can't take more of them. Again, if it's okay to send migrants back into Mexico, it makes no sense that Biden ended Trump's Remain in Mexico program, which had asylum seekers waiting in Mexico while their asylum claims were adjudicated in the United States. Biden said that Trump's policies had no effect at the border. This is demonstrably false. Trump had gotten control of the border prior to the onset of the pandemic. He blamed Trump for reducing shelters for migrants. A truly absurd charge. Trump only closed the surge facilities set up during the crisis of 2018 and 19 because they were no longer needed. And besides, Democrats agitated to shut down these facilities. Finally, the editorial says, overall, Biden gave no indication that he understands how he has stoked the current crisis or that he knows how to address it. His emphasis was on improved processing of the migrants that are coming rather than persuading him to stay home. This will inevitably mean more families in Central America deciding to send their children on the harrowing journey north, whether Biden wants to acknowledge it or not. Close quote.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast.
3: craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And any time is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
5: The fact is that you had systematic dishonesty about the border. You had charges which are harmful to the United States by giving our enemies things that they can say about us. You had confusion. That was captured, by the way, by Craig Shirley, a very famous conservative author, probably the leading biographer of Ronald Reagan, who wrote a column which was entitled, Joe Biden, America's Dumbest Newest President. Craig Shirley said, quote, Joe Biden just might be the dumbest president in recent memory. Just look at his sad press conference where he drooled and stumbled his way through. Well, I actually didn't see him drool, but he certainly stumbled a lot. And I think that's an important thing to be clear about. The fact is, when you come down to it, you have a president of the United States who clearly is only functional if he has note cards. Which makes you wonder, when he's not in front of the public, does he go into the meetings with note cards? Does he remember what the point of the meeting was? I think that there was a lot, ultimately, to be very worried about in the Biden press conference because it raised questions about his capacity as president, and it raised the question, who is actually the person who is making decisions about the United States if it's clearly not the president? And I think that the historians are gonna look back on this And I would not be at all surprised if they didn't end up comparing what happened with Woodrow Wilson after he had a stroke and his wife, Edith, actually ran the country for a year and what's happening now with Biden, who clearly is not prepared or not capable of dealing with these things. Ronald Reagan used to say, it isn't what our opponents don't know that scares me. It's what they know that isn't true. Well, let me give you this example. Biden said, explaining how successful he's being, talking about Republicans, over 50% of them must be over that edge as well, because they support what I did. This is in the press conference. So he's claiming that he has over 50% support among Republicans. Well, if you actually look at Gallup, he has 8% support. When I was first thinking about this and trying to figure out how to explain what's going on, I thought a little bit about Alice in Wonderland, Carol's great childhood story, which is really a very sophisticated adult satire, because you sort of have Biden who gets up in the morning and goes, they must all love me. After all, I'm above 50%. And if he had said, you know, I may not be doing a very good job reaching out to Republicans because I'm only at 8% approval, you'd have a whole different approach here. But my hunch is that his staff says, you know, you're doing so great. They love your dogs. They love you. He's then going to get feedback that is. I think, harmful from the American news media. In Time magazine, Philip Elliott wrote, Gone were the pettiness and self-victimhood, the attempts to divide Americans and nurse grievances. You know, I think somehow it's pretty much nursing a grievance to suggest that his predecessor was killing nine-year-olds in the desert. It's pretty much nursing grievances to say that the Republicans were trying to pass segregationist legislation in the jim crow tradition but the news media wouldn't see any of it they wouldn't get it one of my favorite totally destructive columnists is jennifer rubin at the washington post who i always go to if i want to know what the nutcake wing of wokeism is doing so she wrote an opinion quote biden excels at his first news conference i thought biden survived but i didn't think he excelled maybe he excelled for biden She goes on to say, Biden spoke in great detail and length to show not only his mastery of the issues, but also to suck tension and conflict out of the room. Now, you have to ask yourself, whether Jennifer had just visited a state that had legalized marijuana, what exactly was she doing that she thought he spoke in great detail and length? He was reading his script. You could see that he was reading his script. He would actually say, oh, North Korea, and you would see him flip through and find North Korea. Jennifer, did you actually see the press conference? Or did you just write a glowing cheerleader column? She is tough on the news media, however. She says, their failure to ask about the pandemic, the recession, anti-Asian violence, climate change, or even infrastructure, Biden had to bring it up himself, was nothing short of irresponsible. They pleaded for a news conference and then showed themselves to be unserious. They never laid a glove on Biden. They did, however, make the case for why these events are an utter waste of the president's time. Well, let me just say that anybody who's willing to say the news media is irresponsible and unserious, I may have to read Jennifer more often because not that she wasn't right about that, but it was just kind of strange to have her say it. In the New York Times, Annie Carney and Katie Rogers wrote that Mr. Biden was the sober political veteran, comfortable with thinking out loud, talking personally and conversationally. Now, again, I wonder if some of these people were listening on the radio because sober political veterans, and I've known a few in my career, don't carry around cheat sheets that they read from in public. I mean, it's one thing to have a cheat sheet just that you have there in a crisis, or to have a cheat sheet that you read just before you go out on stage. But what Biden was doing was reminding all of us that he doesn't know. Now, in an age of nuclear weapons, I worry if we discuss North Korea, Pakistan, Iran, China, Russia, with a president who doesn't get it and is not quite sure what his policy is. Many years ago, we had a Democratic senator running for re-election in New Mexico and he was getting a little bit beyond his best performances and one of the things which defeated him for re-election was a huge convention that he spoke at in Albuquerque and he's reading his speech and he reads pause for applause and doesn't know he's read it and the whole speech was kind of like that and people began to realize maybe He doesn't quite know what's going on in the Senate anymore. Well, as I backed out and thought about it, it occurred to me that while Biden didn't embarrass us, the fact is this press conference had statements that were false, provably false. This press conference gave aid and comfort to our enemies by giving them things that they could use to attack America. This press conference deliberately misinformed the American people. And at key points, this press conference was ruthlessly partisan and condemned Republicans in language, which we simply shouldn't tolerate. So we'll see how the next one goes, which I predict will be sometime in 2022. But I think they can now say we've already done one and we don't have to do another one for a long time. I wanted to share the totality of my reaction because I thought it was much more in that press conference that revealed the nature of Joe Biden and the nature of the Biden administration. And I wanted to really spend the time to share those ideas with you. You can read more about my reaction to Biden's first press conference on our show page at newtsworld.com. I will also be writing about it this week in my free weekly newsletter. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Fenley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.